Good morning, North Coast. I wish I could be with you today, but I'm up in Kloof. Uh, and so I wanted to introduce our series, Isibu Siso, to you. The, the byline for the series is do something kiff. And uh, Isibu Siso, it means be a blessing. I actually wanted to call it be a blesser, but that would have gone down really badly on the front of our building connected to a church. It would have been really funny, but really bad. And so we've called it Isibu Siso. And uh, the whole emphasis of this series is on doing something in the city in which you're in. And Belito is a city. And so I want to speak into you doing something in your context. But in order to give it a framework, I want to tell you about what's happening in Durban. You know, about four years ago, a hundred influencers, so pastors, some politicians, some business people, went to New York um, to be part of a How to Change a City conference. It was an incredible time. Pastors who'd been fighting about who had the biggest church got to spend time together, and we got to really connect around something bigger than us. And out of that um, came a lot of relationship, but we didn't do anything until Carte Blanche came to the scene. So all of those who love watching Carte Blanche, um, bless you, uh, Carte Blanche came out to Durban and they basically trashed Durban. They picked on our worst aspects. There was, at one stage, a whole bunch of uh, needles that landed up on the beach. And they were more to do with a ship who'd lost cargo than anything else. But Carte Blanche jumped on this, and the result was that Durban got a good thrashing. And so City Story, this group of people who'd gone over to New York, got up and said, we want to make a difference. They then put that onto social media, and about 3,000 to 3,500 people said, we're in, we want to help. And then they had to work out how they were going to make this all happen. And so we've come up with a couple of initiatives. The first is that there's a City Serve event um, that's happening across the entire beachfront, and that's going to be really exciting. I know that you guys are doing your own thing, but the City Serve uh, across the beachfront involves about seven or eight partners, different churches working together to make a difference. And on top of that, um, I believe Red Caps Foundation from Mr. Price is going to be partnering with us. We're going to be doing everything from cleaning the reef to um, helping lifeguards out to serving policemen and uh, car guards on the road. There's going to be an entire initiative. But that's a small part to it. After that, we've been in conversations around how do we improve the in a city. And when you get a number of churches together, you can make a difference. And so what we've decided to do is launch a whole bunch of urban improvement precincts, which is basically a top-up to municipal services. And so City Story, the business community, SPA, and a bunch of other Christian businesses have come together to sponsor around 200 staff to clean and green the area from Ushaka through to Durban Beach. Durban Beach and they're going to systematically put urban improvement precincts all the way through Durban inner city um, looking to improve the area. The effect we believe is that business will be re-engaged in that space, we'll start to see an improvement and that way the kingdom will break through and so we're so so pumped about that. But today, I want to speak about our last series and linking it into this series. So our last series was about God's plan for your life. And what we said in our last series was, God's plan for your life is that you die, 
that you can't have your will for your life and God's will for your life. If you want God's will for your life, you have to die. And we took it from that scripture, unless a seed dies, it can't bear much fruit or it can't multiply out. Unless you die, you can't live out God's plan for your life. The second week we said that if you want to live out God's plan for your life, you have to be rooted into the love of Christ. And in order for you to bear much fruit, your roots need to be in love. And out of the love, God's fruit grows. In the third week, we spoke about living towards the light. We said that plants will actually bend towards the light. They'll they'll literally shift direction in their growth to get to light. And we as people need to bend our wills and our lives towards God's light if we're going to live out God's plan for our lives. And we spoke about being spirit-led. And then in the last week, we spoke about being fruitful. And we said there were two aspects of fruitfulness. There was the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Then there was the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we said that there is a fruitfulness, a series of good works that God's laid up for you to do that when you do is a present back to Him. It's fruit in your life. Now, today I want to talk about how you be fruitful, how you live out God's will for your life in the context of cities. Now, what I know about most people is that when they think about cities, they think about all the crime and grime and pollution and all the worst of humanity piled up into one place. So when I speak to Florida Road, I I name it Pinetown or Bluff because it's just terrible. And we we think that God lives in the Berg. I love Pinetown people and Bluff people, lots in our church, so don't worry about them. But, But most people think that God lives in the Berg, that he needs clean air, clean water, that he wants to be as far away as as possible from that group of people. But when you dive into the scripture, you see something completely different. You see a God who loves cities. And when we think cities in today's context, especially as we preach at Olive Tree, we often think inner city, but I want you to think more in terms of the environment that you're in that has its own economy, has its own infrastructure, has entire social groups in it that would be classified as a city. So I'm going to look at the first city that was ever made. In Genesis 4.13 it said, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Remember Cain was the guy who murdered his brother Abel. And so God comes to him and and he punishes him and, and Cain expresses it. He says, today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then it says in verse 17, Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. So the word city in Scripture, it means a fortified area. It's a place with a wall, basically. And what Cain knew was that if he built a place of safety, a fortified area, was that people would come because people desire safety. In fact, if you look at the stats of, of the way the world's going, by 2050, 70% of the entire Earth's population, which is continuously growing, will be living in cities. So if you don't like cities, you're going to be in the minority in the future. But the second thing about cities is that cities have a diversity and a density 
that other areas don't have. Now, this is obvious, but in Genesis 4.20 it says, Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. What you see in cities is you see people starting to specialize. So one of them lives in tents, another one makes tools, another one's into art. Now, I don't know about you, but I came from a very small town. And uh, in very small towns, the the amount of talent and diversity is very limited. And so I remember my mom used to put together plays. And I, I think my mom was quite talented. She came from a city and she did great plays there, but when she went into a town and did them there, they were less great. And uh, they, they weren't gonna make the playhouse. You see, the thing about small towns is that they just don't have the richness of talent and diversity. What happens when you come into a city is firstly, you come in thinking that you're gonna be a Springbok or Protea, and you get in and you start to see the talent pool and you wonder if you're even going to make the B team. It's just kind of what happens in cities. And what that creates is, is this talent pool that forces people to get better. That's the, that comes from density. Diversity comes because you've got all these different cultures coming together, and in that space you have a richness of expression. And so when you put an art piece together, when you put a play together, you have all these different talents that you wouldn't be able to draw from in, a, in, in an area of a small town where everybody's kind of a bit of the same and a bit of a generalist. Cities create diversity and they create... Cities draw diversity and density, therefore they have talent and multiple expressions which result in culture coming out of cities. So if you want to affect the world, if you want to have your voice go out into the world, you speak it from a city. Even things like social media trends like um, Am I Next and me too. They may have been on social media, but they gained traction in cities. It was from cities that they started to spread and became viral across the world. And culture will always be formed in cities and it will go out into the rest of the world, which is why the apostles planted their churches into cities, because they knew that if they reached cities, the message of the gospel would, be, would go out into the countryside, which is really important for how we think as a church. If we want to plant churches into the nations, we could send at huge cost people to Nigeria, or we could go to Point Road, where there's like little Lagos, and we could plant a church there. If we're wanting to reach India, we could go to India, or we could go plant a church in little Bombay and Phoenix, and we could go and reach people there. If we're wanting to reach... Um, people from Malawi or Congo or, or people from Zimbabwe, we just have to go to the inner city and begin a church there because we will reach those people and they'll go back to their countries and they will start to build churches. They'll build the kingdom from there. This is how you grow in the modern day. You, you preach to people. And if we want to reach Australians and New Zealanders and Canadians, all we have to do is preach to white people because they're going there. We have to just get them on board. This is how it works. So reaching cities is massively important, which is why as a church we're starting to talk about and pray about launching a church into kind of a Cowies Hill and Boweni area is where we can see different cultures all coming together. We, we feel like it's a critical space for us to reach people.
and we're going to be talking more about that over the next little while. So cities are important to God because of cultural reasons, they're important to God because of strategic reasons, and they're important to God because of people reasons. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Jonah, and the reason for that is because God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah turns around and goes in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish, and uh, so God sends a whale, it kind of gives him some transport back towards Nineveh, and, uh, and Jonah decides, I don't want to be in a whale again, so he goes to Nineveh and he begins to preach, um, and his message is basically, you're going to hell, you need to repent, and I hope you burn. That's, that's basically what he says. And the reason for that is the Ninevites were some of the cruelest people on the planet. The Ninevites would go to villages before they attacked an entire area. They'd chop off people's hands so they couldn't eat, and they'd poke out their eyes so they couldn't see, and they would leave. And those people would die, and the other villagers would, who were doing trade with them would come into those villages and find all these people, poked out eyes, chopped off hands, and they would, they would go back to their villages with these stories of terror, so that when the Ninevites actually came to attack them, they would surrender straight away. This was how the Ninevites thought. Jonah hated the Ninevites. When he preached, he had no desire that they change. However, God came on him. He preached to them this message of repentance, and we actually saw the greatest revival that ever hit the Old Testament happened in the town of Nineveh. What was interesting is afterwards, Jonah was sulking about the fact that they repented, which is fascinating in itself. And God comes to him and God says these words to him. He says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Cities are important to God for strategic reasons, for cultural reasons, and for people reasons, and even animal reasons. In fact, what you see in cities that you don't see in rural areas is that in cities there is a different way of doing community. Deuteronomy 12, there's a, a fascinating text that says that when someone is raped in a rural area or in a small town, the man should be stoned to death. But if that person is raped in a city and nobody hears her scream, then both should be put to death. The thinking is this, that in cities, because of the densification of cities, people should, should hear and should engage and there should be a, a desire to help one another. A number of years ago, I was preaching about cities and I was trying to get all our white folk to engage in the inner city. And so I said to them, white people, come with me, you'll be safe, we'll look after you, come into the inner city. And, uh, and, and Zama, who's one of our worship leaders, came and sat me down afterwards and she said to me, Ross, I feel safe in town. If someone steals my phone in town, then I know I will scream and someone else will catch them and they'll hold them down or get my phone back. I'm safer in town than I feel in the suburbs. Now, when I heard that for the first time, I, I kind of thought, nah, maybe. The other day, I was driving in La Lucia, and I saw a lady carrying a whole bunch of food, and she was obviously a domestic worker, and she looked like she was in trouble. 
And so I kept driving, and then I thought to myself, there was something wrong there. So I turned around, and I raced back, and I went to pick her up. And as I got next to her, I opened the door, and she literally threw a bag of 5 kg maize, smashed me on the leg. She jumped in with all her stuff, and we drove off. And I said, what was happening? She said, no, there was a man attacking me. He was trying to steal my stuff when you came along and you saved me. I realized, as I was talking to her, that probably 20, 30 cars had driven past her, not noticed. See, in the burbs, you can scream. People can't hear you. There's a different way of doing life in suburbs to the densification of a city. And, and here's the big idea. God starts this whole story in a garden, but he ends it in a city. It's in Revelation, we see the picture of the New Jerusalem coming down. We, we see pictures of the New Jerusalem all the way through the text. In fact, Abraham speaks of a city that he was looking for whose builder and foundation was God himself. And, and we get all the way to Revelation, we see this picture of a city coming down from heaven. And it's, it's a cube. Its length is about from here to Cape Town, and it's that long and that wide and that high, and it probably looks something like this picture. That's Singapore. And it probably has a bit of a taste and a feel of the greenery and all the beauty of God. The scripture says that God's at the center. There's only one spelling error in there. It says that there's no sea. God must have got that wrong. But, but other than that, there's God at the center. Light is coming out of him, and we are feeding off his presence. It's beautiful. So cities are important to God, but cities are messed up. And in Genesis 11, we see how messed up they are. It says in Genesis 11, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. This city of Genesis 11 is the city of Babel, often named Babylon. And if you read throughout the Bible, you kind of keep getting these two pictures. You, you either get Babel or Babylon, which is the evil in cities, or you get Jerusalem or Zion, which is God's city. And, and right the way through Scripture, you see these two cities being compared. The thing about Babel that made it evil was how it was set up. So it says that they built a tower. The tower archaeologists have recently found is a ziggurat. It looks like this. A ziggurat was actually a place that people, our ancients, would go to to meet with demons to get information and knowledge that would help them produce something great. It was the first place of true idolatry. They were, they were meeting with spiritual forces to do something to make themselves better. And then that's, that's the first part. The second part that that leads into is they say, let us build a tower to make a name for ourselves. Now that statement is why most people go to cities to make a name for themselves. They come to Durban to join the Sharks to make a name for themselves. People, people go into many, many areas and many, many specialized zones to make a name for themselves. But what that is, is pride. 
the opposite of making a name for yourself is making a name for God. Now, when Satan fell from heaven, the reason that he fell from heaven was pride. He said, I want to be like God. I want people to worship me. This is we read as we read about Satan. You are most like Satan when you're operating in the making a name for yourself. When you are trying to become something greater. Now, the reason that we fall into this trap again and again of living to make a name for ourselves instead of living to make a name for God is because pride is so powerful. So you think about Bok pride or school pride or, or South African nation pride. You think about these things and we think good thoughts. Pride gets us to win the World Cup and I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of all the golds that we've got through. But pride has this incessant kind of sneaky aspect to it that says, I am more important than you. And it's often in your subconscious, but in order for me to make a name for myself, I generally have to push someone else down in order to make me go up. That's pride. And so what you have when pride exists inside of a, a person or inside of a system is that in a, a place of pride, we don't ask the question, how much can I pay them? We ask the question, how little can I pay them? In, in pride, when it gets into a city, you see Pharaoh building the pyramids, great structures. He builds the pyramids on the backs of slaves. We see the same thing in Babylon. The hanging gods, gardens of Babylon were seven of the, of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The hanging gardens of Babylon were beautiful. They were built on the backs of slaves. See, Whenever you get the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, you will find pride existing in that. And the evil of this is that the rich find their souls disintegrating as they get richer, and the poor find themselves being crushed under sin as they get poorer, and they're unable to get out of this, and they're unable to get out of this, and what you have is a breakdown of humanity. It's Babylon. But Jesus came. And you see Jesus walk in. Though he was God, he came as a poor man. In fact, he became an, an Egyptian refugee. He, he went to Egypt as a refugee. And then he came back to Israel. Jesus then served. And the scriptures say things like this that we've all heard along the way. And in Matthew chapter 5, it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus comes, God of this universe, and he serves the poor and he sets people free from demonic activity and he heals the sick and he preaches a message that changes people's lives and he serves and serves and serves and he empowers. And the result is the early church grabbed hold of his teaching. And I, I did a lot of history 
sort of study around the early church. And the church in Alexandria was fascinating because it grew so fast, it was uncontrollable. And what you read about in that early church is that the Christians in the early church would go on what was called baby hunts, which doesn't sound good, but what they would do is they would go to people's homes because in, in that day, in the Roman Greek culture, if you didn't want a child, you'd just put him on the edge of your stoop. And the child would either die or someone would pick them up. And the Christians would go from place to place to place picking up these babies and they would nurse them and they would feed them and they would look after them and they would have godparents because often they would die in the process so they would have godparents who would step in and the result was the church, the early church, it became a massive orphanage and those kids grew up to love Jesus and they spread the gospel out. The early church was so inspiring. When the plagues hit cities, the people in the early church would go and they would move into sick people's homes, though they weren't Christians, and they would love them and nurse them and often die from the plague they had. Many were healed, but many, many cases were cases of Christians dying as they nursed. This was the early church. They were so inspiring when it came to the people dying during the plagues. The early church, because they believed in the resurrection of the dead, would wash the people and they would give them decent burials. And the result was plagues stopped in cities that had Christians in them. The early church poured out their lives because they believed in Jesus who said, go be salt. And as I started thinking about this, I started to realize that if the church doesn't take these words to heart and doesn't become the soul of the city. You know, one of the things that was written about the early church in Alexandria is that they said, as a body needs a soul, so cities need Christians. This was written by a a non-Christian historian. If we don't get our saltiness back, two things will happen. The one is we will constantly feel unfulfilled and in some ways sad. And the other thing is the city will lack. But I have seen in the last season of my life, I've seen people get their saltiness back. I've seen people adopt babies, and I've seen people sacrifice so much to go and improve areas in the city, not just in a city, but all over the city, and start things like Live and and other initiatives in the city. And I've watched those people become so fruitful. They may not be as wealthy as they could have been, but they've become so fruitful that to be around them is just to gather life. And I want that for our church. I want us to get involved in Wangu and Shaka's Kral and Tinny Manor and, and begin to serve in our area. I want us to get the heartbeat of the early church and the heart that God has for the city because I believe that if we grab hold of it, we will see our economy and our problems through completely different lenses and we'll begin to make a shift that will change our soul and set our kids up for a life of fulfillment. So North Coast, as you go into what's going to be your city serve, my prayer is that God grabs your heart, he fills it with fire, and you begin to experience some of the joy the early church had. Because if you do that, we will reach the world.
May God bless you and may he fill your hearts as you go.